A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Rabia Mayas. The story was recorded in February 2014 at American Junkie in Chicago, Illinois. So, I'm an identical twin. And it, yeah, really? Okay, all right. And it is the most awesome thing. If you could go to the store and get one, I would tell you all to do it. Go have some. It's amazing. It's like having a life partner in the truest sense, in that I have never had a moment of life without my sister, literally. And that's so cool. As kids, we were kind of traditional twins. We dressed alike, although our parents gave us different colors, which was nice, I think, to help tell us apart. We were these cute little brown chubby girls with knock knees and little Afro puffs. We were each other's best friends and had a secret language, as a lot of twins do. And my sister was the first one of us to walk. She started walking at daycare, and of course I don't remember this, but I love when my mom tells this story. She started walking, and almost as soon as she started walking, she stopped. And she stopped because I was kind of the slow one. I hadn't gotten up on my two feet yet. And so she stopped and waited, and she didn't walk again until I was able to walk, and we could do it together. And I love when my mom tells that story because it's a cute story, but it also is reflective of what it means to be a twin for the two of us. We are always holding each other's hands. Our energy is connected. If she's not okay, then I'm not okay. And if one of us is moving a little bit ahead, we always turn around to make sure the other isn't too far behind. That's been the case even into adulthood. So if you know any identical twins or even fraternal twins, you might hear that they talk on the phone a lot. My sister and I don't live in the same city anymore, so it's not at all uncommon for us to talk four or five times a day about pretty much nothing. In fact, it's pretty common at least once a week, there'll be a time when we'll be on the phone and one of us, usually my sister, will say, so, okay, we haven't talked for like three or four minutes. We're just listening to each other breathe, so let's wrap it up. And I'll say, okay, when she says, okay, call you in an hour, yep, call you in an hour, I love you infinity, bye. And that's just kind of how it is. And so it's been this amazing life to have a twin sister. And there's really nothing bad about it, except what other people typically do. The question that you'll always get, which is, oh, you guys are twins. So which one's the smart one and which one's funny? Because apparently, twins can't be whole people all on their own. So annoying. For the love of all that is holy, if you do that, stop. It's really annoying. But there isn't really anything bad about being a twin. And most people are pretty nice. They'll ask, what's it like? And it's a question that sounds simple, but the answer is actually a lot more complex because for me, it's more metaphysical and emotional and nerdy. It's that for a few days after conception, that little zygote, before it split into the two of us, was one being. That's magic. We were the same person. I was her and she was me and we were each other. There's something so cool about that, and sometimes I'll get all weepy and dramatic and call her and say, oh my God, we were the same organism, the same person, and she rolls her eyes because she's not quite as dramatic as me sometimes. But it's just awesome. 
And so my sister and I have just always been a part of each other's lives in that way. And I identify as an identical twin more than I do as a woman, more than I do as black or as a scientist. It's at the core of who I am. And as we started to get older and get interested in science, and ultimately we both went to college to study science, it was really cool to learn a little bit more about twinness, the genetics and the biology of it. And one day we had taken a genetics class and we asked our parents, how did you guys know we were identical? How did that happen? We'd never heard the story. Well, the story goes that in the delivery room, after we were delivered by cesarean section, the obstetrician yells out, are they monochorionic or dichorionic? Asking about our placentas. Yes, go scientists in the room. <laughs> and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the doctor was talking to the medical professionals in the room. And yet the person who spoke loudest and first was none other than my dad. And he said, monochorionic. If you've ever met my dad, he has this way of saying things that just make them so. You don't question it, it's just what it is. And apparently that's what happened in the delivery room. That was the end of it. No one confirmed or checked. And so we're like, we had had like enough science in college to think that something about that didn't make a lot of sense. And we're like, okay, well, you know, someone did a test or looked at some things or pulled the placentas apart or whatever. And they're like, no, that was just it. What the hell? And I remember thinking for the very first time in my almost 20 years, I had doubt about who I was as identical. And it was weird and confusing and unsettling and it pissed me off that my parents didn't think it was a big deal. To this day, my father will say, well, we just know you're identical, like, that's it. My mom has a different approach and she says, well, there was that one time when you guys were little and you were running out of the bathroom naked and I saw your two little behinds and they looked identical to me. Like, really, mom? And so it was weird, because the core of who I was was potentially not what I thought at all. And I didn't really know what to do with that. And just a little bit after that, my sister and I separated for the first time to go to graduate school. We left our home in Maryland, and she went to New York, and I came here to Chicago, both to study um, biochemistry and molecular biology. Actually, she's a micro, microbiology. And it was great because I was really excited to continue my learning. I was really excited about science and becoming a really skilled researcher and digging into a project. And I joined a lab that was using yeast to study cancer mechanisms. And I knew a little bit about yeast. There are those cool things in the packets at the store that you can bake with and make beer with. And like that's kind of awesome. But scientifically, they're crazy awesome. They're these baby microscopic organisms that live as single cells. They don't have any nervous systems or organs or tissues, and they certainly don't get cancer. And yet, they have at the genetic level really striking similarities to higher organisms that make them a great model. So I was really excited to learn more about genetics and biochemistry, and I was really getting into school. And a couple of years in, I was helping a postdoc set up a genetic screen. And the screen he was working on taught me two specific but very opposing characteristics about my new friends, the yeast. And the first is that yeast have the ability to divide asexually. They can just replicate over and over and over. They make copies of themselves. And every 90 minutes or so, they'll divide into two identical copies. And you can have a big population of yeast cells that are all the same. The second characteristic is that with some small frequency, I learned that they make mistakes. Sometimes that DNA doesn't get copied right, or there are conditions or chemicals that alter the DNA. And so while we assumed all of those yeast cells were the same, they in fact probably were not. And we could exploit that in our research. But it got me thinking 
But if my sister and I were really identical, and at this point, thanks mom and dad, that was a real if, maybe we were never as identical as we thought. Maybe like the yeast, we had developed mutations over time. And in fact, I learned later, much to my shock, that at birth, identical twins can have many differences in their DNA, not to mention what happens over time as we grow. And so I didn't get it. I came to school to learn. I came to school to become a researcher and get a great job in science. I didn't come to have my identity challenged. And yet that's what was happening. I couldn't figure out how to manage that. And so over time we thought, well, maybe we'll sequence our DNA. Because that's what people do. And uh, settle it once and for all. And back then in the early 2000s, it was still like $10,000 or so to do that. And so that certainly wasn't going to work on our grad school stipend. And I'll say, I honestly was a little bit afraid because I didn't know what was going to happen and what that would do to change my life. I will say that my newfound knowledge about genetics made it easier to digest some of the differences between me and my sister that I hadn't quite figured out. She's taller than me. She has way better boobs than I do. I'm impatient and frustrating in relationships, and she has this tremendous capacity for love. And more simple things, like she hates goat cheese, and I don't get it. <laughs> so maybe... We could sort through some of that with our newfound information. But at the root of it, I was just terrified. And over time, I figured that, what if we were fraternal? Not that fraternal is a dirty word. It's a nice word. Fraternal twins are nice people. I know some of them. They're great. I just didn't want to be one. And so that wasn't the identity that I had. And so I had to come to terms with, over time, being okay with not knowing, because the risk of being something different was too high. And so we finished grad school, and somehow, magically, a thousand miles apart, we defended our dissertations just two weeks apart from each other. Twin powers. We both left the bench and pursued careers in public engagement and, and education. And I've started to, yeah. Uh, and I've started to just accept the fact that we may never know. And that's okay, because even if we're not identical genetically, she's still the person that I want to call first when something interesting happens. She's the first person I want to call when something really boring happens. She is still my partner in life, the person I've not known my existence without. And so I'm an identical twin no matter what, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you. That was Rabia Meas. Rabia is madly in love with science and driven by life's questions, large and small. As director of Science and Integrated Strategies at the Museum of Science and Industry, Chicago, her work is focused on supporting that same spirit in youth who face barriers to accessing quality science experiences. She holds a doctorate in biochemistry and molecular biology and is passionate about exploring the intersections of science with art, health, and community. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you can, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wick, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to American Junkie for hosting the show, for our donors for supporting the show, and to my complete lack of siblings for making some problems just not come up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>